Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosick. It's been a great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints regular guest, Ashley Hay, who's the editor of the Griffith Review, a, a really, really outstanding publication. And uh, this, uh, the theme of this one is Acts of Reckoning, uh, Griffith Review 76. But firstly, welcome again to Viewpoints, Ashley Hay. Thanks for having me, Henry. Always a pleasure. Now, Ash, you're up there in Queensland. We'll talk about the Griffith Review 76, and it's, it's a magnificent edition, as all of them are in a moment. But uh, how are you doing up there? We're sort of um, – it's an interesting world. We've been through two years of COVID, and it's been like a pendulum in different states. What's it been like up in, in your neck of the woods? Well, I think because we had that border shut for such a very long time, um, we didn't really have a lot of – the virus to deal with. So Queenslanders had to get very used to having a lot of uh, a lot of infection numbers and some deaths, which it hasn't really had up until now um, across those first two years. So it has been interesting. I think we're all um, we're all doing that juggle where the pandemic is now far more a part of day to day life, but we're also hoping that things are getting back to normal. But we still have to be elastic in all our planning in terms of, you know, is this thing actually going to happen? Is it going to happen in this format? Are we going to be meeting in person? Are we going to be online? So, yeah, still a lot of bouncing around, I think, is probably the best way to put it. And I think after two and a bit years of bouncing around, my sense is everyone's getting a little bit tired rather than getting better at it. So, Mm. yeah, I'm not quite sure what happens next. No, and I think it's been like that for, for some time. Now, getting to Griffiths Review 76, normally I start mm. with the the contents um, and mm. then we work to some of the beautiful illustrations. There's some wonderful, wonderful um, photographs in there. But I thought we'd start with the front cover this time, not because it's any better than previous ones, but it's such a striking front cover. It really, really is. It sets the theme for the for the whole publication. You might like to describe it and why you have that cover. Absolutely. So um, it's, it's from a series called Undiscovered, which is more than 10 years old now by a very prominent First Nations artist, Michael Cook. And the image, um, which I love, is of a, a beach, an Australian beach, Um, It's a fairly monotone image. There's not a lot of colour here. But what you can see coming down from the top left onto the sand is a ladder. There is a First Nations man dressed um, in the garb that we are much more used to seeing men like Lieutenant James Cook or the Marines of the First Fleet in Sydney. We're much more used to seeing them in the red coat, the white pants, the hat and the gun. Um, The gun is sort of pointing out of the frame uh, across the ocean and at the bottom of the ladder, a kangaroo is lounging, looking utterly relaxed, um, quite like most people's pet dogs, I would hazard a guess. Um, It is a really really disrupting take on images that you have seen in a lot of other places before. There's a little bit... Um, there's a little bit of the surreal in there, but there's something a little bit playful in there as well, as well as something sort of very powerful and dramatic in the points that it's making. Um, so I loved that combination of the elements. I was delighted when when Michael Hook gave us his permission to use this image. 
on the front of this edition of Griffith Review. Mm, and and the ladder um, in, mm. uh, in the sand with the waves mm. just lapping on it, uh, mm. that of itself is an incredible, incredible metaphor. No, that's, uh, I, I reckon the book is almost worth a buying for the cover and also checking out that um, uh, uh, set of... Um, Illustrations and things that were made some time mm. ago. Uh, that, that, that exhibition. It's a beautiful, it's a really stunning series. I mean, Michael's recent work is amazing as well. Um, but yes, I think the cover, we're always, um, you know, we, we choose our covers for different reasons and we're looking for different things. But I feel like this one does a lot of great work for us before people have, have even opened the book, which is, you know, is probably the best the best position you can you can try to put yourself in when you're making an addition of something. Yes, and then of course when you have such a good starting point to a publication, and you would know this as an editor, a successful editor for for many years, Ashley, you've set a high bar. Of course, when you open it and (laughs) people don't want to be disappointed, of course they won't. And uh, (laughs) storytelling and the power of new thought, I always start with with your comments. And and you took yourself back to a day a long time ago when you spent time on a replica of the HMS Endeavour on Sydney Harbour. Why did you choose that as the, if you like, the beginning point of this uh, publication? Well, I think in all of the sort of work that um, non-Indigenous Australians, settler Australians still need to do around the sort of annexation of this extraordinary continent, um, and the imposition of uh, a whole other way of law and living onto, um, you know, several hundred highly successful um, independent nations that already existed here. I think one of the things that is really interesting and, and requisite is to to sort of try to go back to the beginning, to go back to first principles in a way. And... Um, as a novelist, in the work that I do as a novelist, you know, sort of putting yourself into other places is part of the work that you do. And when I was trying to find the shape for the introduction, um, I remembered this day that I spent on the replica of the endeavor. This is, I think it's about 15 years ago now. I can't actually remember. It might be further back again, but um, it was for a whole other project that I was working on. But the, the two things that struck me the ship was tiny. It's so small. Um, Henry, you and I have never met in person, but I am barely five foot tall. I am not a tall person. And the ship was very uh, cramped for me. And there was, you know, me and a handful of other tourists on the ship on the harbour on that day. So just the, just starting to imagine the number of men who'd been packed into this space trying to maintain all sorts of divisions of class and all sorts of instructions and all sorts of protocols and rules and ways of doing things, Um, just the sheer uh, physical impact of being tucked into this ship for a couple of years was one thing to think about. The other thing, and this is a bit more metaphorical, this is probably more me, a novelist, thinking about it, was the windows on the back of what's called the Great Cabin, which was where... Um, Cook would, you know, sort of draw his maps where Banks and Solander, who were the two botanists, you know, very early natural historians that travelled with him, Banks is in large part why um, England decided to dispatch convicts 
back to this side of the world and start a new colony. It was all Banks' great PR. Um, but the windows had that very old glass which has sort of started to to flow in a way, you know, that 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 idea that glass is always moving. It's just we, we usually can't see it. But but this had those sort of almost corrugations or crenulations, is that the word I'm looking for? Um, that made that distorted what you could see from inside the great cabin looking out. And I thought that was a really interesting metaphor because it's always intrigued me the way these these men of the Enlightenment and these systems from Britain arrived and did not see what was here. They saw they did not um, trouble themselves to talk to really anybody who was here or find out how people lived here, what went on, the names of you know the plants and the animals that were already. Year, they just started looking at it as if it had nothing attached to it. Um, so that sort of thickness of the window, I always and the, and the disruption of the the gaze, the disruption of the view, I always remembered. The other thing which I thought was really great was I was on this ship on Sydney Harbour, which is a very famous landscape. But the Endeavour itself had never been on Sydney Harbour. The Endeavour had sailed past the heads of Sydney Harbour without going in. So there was something, you know, this is getting a bit kind of postmodern and probably a bit wanky here, but there was something really interesting about the replica of the ship being in a place where the real ship had never been, this sort of notion of recreation and all the distortions and disruptions that had that had kind of come into play across, where are we up to now, 252 years since um, that gaze had first arrived in the original ship in Botany Bay. Mm, amazing, fascinating. Ashley, we've got to the first break. Can you hold the line? I can. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. I've got a middle of a discussion with uh, Ashley Hay, editor of Griffith Review, on Griffith Review 76 Acts of Reckoning. Welcome back, Ashley. Thanks, Henry. Teela Reid, Warrior Women Reckoning with the Colony, The Power of the First mm. Nations Matriarchy. It's a very central piece, essay, in this uh, publication. You might like to elaborate. Absolutely. We've worked with Teela, who's um, uh, a very exciting Wiradjuri and Walwan uh, lawyer and activist and storyteller. We published her first major essay a couple of years ago in 2020, and it was called 2020, The Year of Reckoning. And when we started to think about an entire edition exploring ideas of reckoning in Australia primarily, but also beyond, um, we decided to invite Teela into that process as a contributing editor. So she wrote this beautiful piece about the power of the First Nations matriarchy, which I think is, you know, it's it's very moving. It's very strong in the way that all of Teela's writing is. But she also commissioned a number of pieces for us. Um, this was the first time that she'd worked as a commissioning editor, it was really exciting for us to be able to provide her with this opportunity and support her through it. She was she was a wonderfully intuitive editor in terms of talking to the writers about the landscape of their pieces and you know how to sort of help them bring their voices and their ideas to the front. So that was exciting. But the people that she worked with, uh, she commissioned Jasmine McGocky, uh, Thomas Mayer. She worked with me and Davis, who a lot of readers of Griffith Review will know from earlier amazing things she's done with us. Um, and also Marinda Dutton, who is the other half with Teela of Blackfella Book Club, which is an Instagram thing um, that has been doing extraordinary work in sort of um, promoting and holding space for First Nations authors to talk about their work to connect them with a lot more readers. And this is another another thing that's really got a new surge of energy through through COVID, strangely. 
um, and also through the Black Lives Matter movement and you know a lot of these a lot of things that have been in play around the world as well as in Australia. So Teela's piece is very central to the book itself, but her thinking is very central. And around these pieces, um, which also include a beautiful three-way conversation about radical hope, which I think is an incredibly important thing to think about in the space of reckoning. Um, the final piece that Teela curated is this three-way conversation between Curly Saunders, Billy Brown, and Genevieve Greaves, which is the, the closing, well, one of the closing pieces for the book, um, which sort of, you know, sends you out into the world with hopefully a lot of things to think about um, and, a, and a real sort of excitement about getting out there and maybe changing the way that you are in the world and, and things that you insist on and things that you're curious about, I guess. Mm. Now, one I couldn't help but come. This is in the memoir section, um, mm. uh, and and I and I, I reckon you'd half know which one it'll be. Is from <laughs> David Denborough, a letter to Samuel yes. Griffiths from his great great grandson. And I, I just want to compliment you because um, there's almost an act of reckoning uh, that you 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 speak of in your introduction beyond the frontier where uh, Sir Samuel Griffiths, who's the inspiration of Griffiths Review, um, mm. there are questions to answer in that regard. You might, David's uh, piece is very, very important. Absolutely. And yes, you know, we were concerned to look at reckoning or we were interested to look at reckoning, as I say, in, a, in an Australian context, in the context of, you know, 250 years since Cook. Um, landed here. Uh, we were concerned to bring stories about other reckonings from other parts of the world, um, other experiences, other traditions, or how the reckonings of other places travel into Australia. But for Griffith U and for Griffith University, we hold the name of Sir Samuel Griffith. It is in our it's in our title. It's in the institution's name. Um, and Griffith, you know, Samuel Griffith, like many men of you know, the late colonial and early colonial times as well, but also coming through with Griffith through the time of Federation. Griffith is twice Premier of Queensland after the colony separates from Australia. He is the Attorney General of Queensland when the, you know, this is all across the time where the really violent frontier war is going on in Queensland and Queensland's experience is different to others in Australia there. But then he becomes the architect of Australia's constitution. He's very integral in that process of moving towards this new nation state and he becomes um, the first Chief Justice of Australia and then his decisions start to impact not just the lives of people around the early 1900s but these decisions are still being cited now. They still give us some of our legal precedents in the High Court. So he's a man who we sort of need to look at. It's not not necessarily just in the context of how of some of the work we need to do in terms of reframing and reckoning with our history, but the ongoing impact that his decisions still have. David Denver is his great-great-grandson. He wonderfully, from my perspective, is a man who works in narrative therapy. And a lot of years ago, he was invited by a First Nations colleague of his to, to start a conversation with his own ancestors. She asked him to do this without knowing that Sir Samuel Griffith was one of his ancestors. He's related to um, one of the families who were at the forefront of settlement on that Queensland frontier as well. So there's quite a lot at play in his own backstory. But he writes this beautiful... He started several years ago writing a series of letters to Sir Samuel and he writes another one for us here, which I think is a really 
um, it's a beautiful hinge between the bigger work that has to be done around um, a man like Griffith, around the potency of attaching his name to things like Griffith Review, to places like Griffith University, to the electorate of Griffith, to whatever it is. Um, but he brings it back to a very personal level and he pays for Samuel Griffith the courtesy of looking at a variety of the things, a variety of the work that he did, of not judging him in any way, but of looking at what he hopes are some of the ways that people like us can question the legacy of men like Griffith through the invitation that they left there for us in the first place. And this is confronting space for lots of people, it's, you know, reckoning with matters of race in Australia and with this sort of national history that we have. Um, it's 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 an interesting space to walk into. <laughs> but I love the way David I love the way David sort of picks up on some of Samuel's own work to say, I trust that you would have wanted us to be doing this and I'm picking up your invitation to do this work of reckoning now. It's a it's a it's a good and and very very I think hopeful point. Um, always try to cover a few things. Now the picture gallery had me had me stymied yeah. because I, I I didn't know which one to pick, but I ended up picking. <laughs> ah, they're too good, and they got so much behind them. Can full stop you full stop see full stop us full stop now question Jasmine Togo Brisby. That's a that's yeah. a, that's a very thought provoking sequence of um, pictures. It's an amazing piece. So um, Jasmine Togo Brisby uh, is an Australian South Sea Islander artist. She's based in New Zealand now. She does a lot of work um, in the archive, I guess, um, sort of looking for what is and isn't there in the archive. So two of her ancestors were brought over from Vanuatu um, in a time when there was a lot of that going on to work in Australia. Um, she works with historical images, sort of imposing herself into these historical landscapes in a sense. But she also does this wonderful series using, um, do you remember those beautiful uh, sort of art deco ceiling oh, yes. decorations? Mm, mm. And um, her, some of her ancestors were involved with the Wunderlach, the, the factory. It was called the Wunderlach factory and they were the people who, designed and um, pressed, I guess, these beautiful tin decorations. And some of Jasmine's work um, uses these stunning images and then, again, imposes imagery, either historical imagery or, or, or contemporary images, uh, slave ships, people. She's, she's really asking us to look at the parts of the story that are not bought in the archive with the designs for the ceiling or, the, you know, the letters that have been captured in this company's um, historical filing cabinets, but to look at the other things that are in the archive through people like, you know, her own descendants. This piece, this sort of series of images by Jasmine is accompanied by um, a really powerful essay by Claire Corbold and Hilary Emmett called Playing in the Dark Archive, which looks at Jasmine Togo Brisby's whole body of work in the context of understanding Australian experiences um, of forced migration of blackbirding as well in terms of that sort of trade of people from the South Sea Islands into Australia in the context of global slavery. There are some really interesting um, connections to make between Atlantic slavery, which we probably think a lot more about and know a lot more about, even to the point of one of the ships 
um, that was used for some of the most infamous crossings in of the Atlantic, ending up uh, being found very recently in a harbour in New Zealand, still with the, the chains that would have held the slaves in place below the decks during those crossings. So again, that imposition of other parts of the world into this space in ways that we might not expect. Um, if we can keep providing different parts of this story, it may give different readers, you know, different things to think about, different dots to connect, to try to unpack or honour a bit more of the complexity of our most recent history in this very old landscape. Absolutely. Tom's got away from us, um, as it always does. Ashley, there's so much more in there. There's fiction in conversation, more picture gallery, lots and lots of essays, etc., etc. Each each piece is food for so much thought. Q&A by Wang Kuo on poetry. I love poetry. We haven't had time mm-hmm. to talk about it, but I just love the title, The Sweet Lie. It's so mm-hmm. It can be so seductive and so destructive all at once, can't it? <laughs> Absolutely. It's look. I'm really. I'm. I'm thrilled with all of the editions of Griffith Review. Um, but I'm. I've been so delighted to work with Taylor as the contributing editor on this one, and and all the different authors who really trusted us with some pretty powerful stories, some very hopeful stories, incredibly moving stories, um, amazing pieces of historical recovery. You know, serious archival work. It's come together phenomenally. I'm. I'm really thrilled by it. Mm, I just want to congratulate you. I think it's uh, acts of reckoning, yes. Uh, there's always moments of reckoning, times of reckoning, and um, there's acts of reckoning that I think we've been fudging with uh, insofar as our First Nations people is concerned for, for too long by so far. And Griffiths Review 76, let's hope, gets that conversation going to to even to much better outcomes than we've had and a better pace. So, And it's just beautiful reading so thank you so much Ashley um, and thank I you Henry as always oh as always thank and you I, so much now tell me just quickly each one you do I think is a masterpiece yes. what's the pressure on <laughs> you does that ever become an albatross around <laughs> your neck your achievement <laughs> I can for some people <laughs> oh Henry this is probably a very good time to tell you that um, we're actually working on the next edition now of course which you'll be getting in August that will be my last edition of Griffith Review um, and uh, it's been four amazing years. I will have um, created 17 editions in that time for a year, and that probably will answer your question um, about, yes, the size and scale of this extraordinary opportunity that I've had being able to do this work. And uh, would Teela Reid be a person who might be taking it on? No, she's not, actually. It is our lovely senior editor, Carity Culver. This is just being announced. You'll get a media release about it tomorrow. Um, Carity's been working with us for three years as our senior editor, and she will be stepping up and taking over the reins. So I think you get one more conversation with me, and then you'll have Carity answer that. Oh, well, actually, I'll get two more, you know, at least, Ashley. Um, if not, <laughs> really, don't, you know why? Uh, you never you never why? give up a conversation with somebody who nourishes you. There you are. So we'll, <laughs> Thank you. That's true. Uh, it's my favourite word. People often have words that they say. We um, A friend of mine, Adam Voigt, likes these uh, favourite word things and the images. And he asked me one day, um, he's an educationist, inspiring one, and he said, what's your favourite word, Henry? And I said, as I've got older, the word is nourishing because uh, yeah. I frame everything around the word to what extent is that relationship 
that conversation, that piece of work that day nourishing me. And not all of them nourish to the same extent, but it gives me a good head start. So uh, conversations have always been nourishing and we'll have at least two more. One is that as um, Griffith Review 77, but we'd certainly love to profile Ashley Hay, um, the champion of, uh, <laughs> of, of great Thank thought. You. Oh, thank you, Henry. That means the world to me. You take care and we'll speak in uh, in a short while. That sounds lovely. Thanks, Henry. All the best. Thanks, Ash. You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossick and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 